Our reading this morning comes from the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verses 33 to 37. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You shall do no wrong in judgment, in measures of length or weight or quantity. You shall have just balances, just weights, a just ephah and a just hin. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And you shall observe all my statutes and all my rules and do them. I am the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. I'm Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to see you this morning. Uh, Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that we can be here gathered in this space today. Father, thank you for the community house and the service that it provides for us, as well as the blessing that it is to this entire community. Father, we thank you that we can be a part of that. Lord, we pray now for this part of our service where we look to your word for truth and hope, for direction, and Father, for encouragement. Lord, we pray that you would open the ears, eyes, hearts, and minds of all who hear your word, that we might be truly encouraged and enabled to join you in your mission to proclaim the gospel all around us. In Christ's name, amen. My wife and I, it turns out, I was adding this up this morning, I realized that the notes in my, uh, in my opening introduction are wrong. I had that my wife and I have moved six times since we have been married. We've actually moved eight. So, <clears throat> and compared to some of you, that is not a big number. But we have lived in eight different cities, in three different states, in the 26 years we have been married. And if you've ever moved, you know what it's like to be a new person in a new neighborhood, or maybe you've switched jobs and you've become the new person at work, or you've gone to a new school. You know, kids, you know what this is like when you go from elementary to junior high, junior high to senior high, or maybe even college, or you move. I think all of us know what it's like to be that new person. And one of the blessings that you get when you move into a house, if your neighbors are doing their job is as you're unpacking and doing the this and that of moving, you get a little knock at the door, and you think to yourself, oh, good, I hope it's the cookies. (laughs) Because you kind of want that, right? That's the almost the universal welcome to the neighborhood. We are glad you're here. And maybe there's a dinner that comes over from your neighbors. Maybe there's an offer to help, to unpack which isn't, has nothing to do at all with your neighbor wanting to know kind of what kind of stuff you have. There's never two motives there. But we all, we all want that because it makes us feel welcome in, in whatever setting we are. And as my wife and I have lived in neighborhoods, we have also experienced people moving into them. And we have tried to do the same thing, to, to bake cookies or take a dinner or offer people to, you know, to help them unpack And if I would be honest with you, I would tell you that there are times when we have sat at home and we have said, huh, I wonder why only one person brought us something. 
I wonder if these neighbors don't really want us here. I wonder what they think of us. And that's a little easier for me to say when I'm a white person in a white neighborhood. I can't imagine what it's like when you're a Latino or Chinese or a black person moving into a neighborhood that doesn't look like you. And having to wonder, do these people want me here? But that's kind of what we think about when we think about hospitality. Kind of the first level of hospitality is the baking of cookies, the taking of a meal. And that is absolutely hospitality. I want to tell you that's hospitality. But what I want to encourage us to see today, and I think this passage reveals it, is that that is not even close to the fullness of what hospitality is about. That hospitality is integral to God's mission with and for the church. That it is something that is supposed to come out of every, every part of our being. It's how we live for the life of the world here. That in everything we do, we're called to be hospitable. And so as we look at this passage today from Leviticus, we see kind of two things. We see this, uh, the many, many inclinations that we have to not be hospitable. The various landmines that are available for us to not be hospitable. And then we see God answering this question, you know, how am I supposed to be hospitable? What, is, what does that even mean? Who am I supposed to be hospitable to? And maybe most importantly, why? Like, why am I called as a Christian to be hospitable? It answers all of those. What I think is amazing and what I always love about this section of Scripture is that it comes in the book of Leviticus. So if those of you who have some reasonable amount of knowledge of the Bible are aware, the book of Leviticus is not the place you would think you would have information about how to be hospitable. It's really about why you should or shouldn't wear clothes of mixed fibers, how many doves you take when you do this one wrong thing, exactly how you're supposed to light your sacrifice and your burnt offering and your grain offering and all these different types of offerings, what kind of fabrics, all those various things are in the book of Leviticus. And so we look at Leviticus and we say, oh, Leviticus is kind of that book in the Bible that I need to skip over because it's just a bunch of like rules and stuff that, you know, don't apply to me. And man, oh man, are we making a mistake when we do that. Because Leviticus is, it is a bunch of rules. I mean, this, this section of scripture, these first five books of the Bible, are a lot about God saying, here's how you're supposed to live. Here's what holy living looks like. And Leviticus, in its kind of rule proclamation, is really a book about the rules of worship. And this section, Leviticus 19, is about how do we worship God through hospitality towards our neighbor. So if you were to open up all of Leviticus 19, you would find that in it includes this information. You know, be honest. Uh, don't maximize profits uh, on the expense of the poor. Pay people fairly. Pay them on time. Treat the elderly and the deaf and the mute well. It's all in there. And then, of course, there's the golden rule. Treat others how you want to be treated, or as Leviticus 19, 17, and 18 says, love your neighbor as yourself. That's what this passage is about. Now, one disclaimer, all of this information is given to the people of God 
who are under the theocratic rule of God, not the United States of America. So I want to make that very clear that this is not a list of this is how we're supposed to live as a country. But with that small disclaimer said, let's back up a little bit and say what this is, is this is rules about how the people of God are supposed to act towards those around them. And that means it applies to us. So you might be able to say, well, it doesn't really apply to the nation of the United States, but it does absolutely apply to us. You know, one of the things we talk about here, if you've uh, maybe taken a membership class, is we talk about one of the reform distinctives is in the Old Testament, there's three kind of three types of law. They go into these general categories, the ceremonial law, how worship was supposed to happen, the judicial law, how you were supposed to settle cases if your neighbor broke your fence, and then the moral law. And one of the points that we like to make is that, you know, the ceremonial law and the judicial law were kind of abrogated or fulfilled in Christ. And so the test here is that we can't say that because now that Jesus has come, we can treat sojourners however we want to. And we don't, we don't get to make that move. So this is a part of the moral law. This is supposed to be what guides us. And so the question then is, so what about the rules of hospitality? What do we learn from these rules? And what I would say is that the rules of hospitality govern our attitude towards others. It's one of welcome. It says, when a stranger sojourner sojourns with you in your land, you shall do him no wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. So two things are very clearly true immediately. This is what Moses wants the people to know. That absolutely, positively, we are supposed to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. That the people of God were supposed to have a manner of interacting with each other that was driven and governed by love for one another. You know, we're given direction in the New Testament about how we love one another. How often are we supposed to forgive one another? What we're supposed to do when a brother wrongs us? What are we supposed to do when we think a brother has something against us? This is how we love one another. But then what this passage in Leviticus makes clear is that we're not just supposed to love one another, members of the people of God, but that the standard for loving outsiders of the people of God is exactly the same. It's not we love each other this way and outsiders we could love like this much. No, it says we have to love them exactly the same way. So keep in mind that what this passage is talking about is what happens when a sojourner who does not worship Yahweh, who worship other gods, comes in contact with them, how should they treat them? You should welcome them, love them, The whole purpose of the people of God was that people would come in contact with them and say, wow, this is amazing, the love that I'm getting. This is the story we heard this morning of I visited this church and I was loved and I was welcomed and I said, hmm, I think I want to keep coming here. I want to see what does it mean to belong here to a place where I'm loved. And then it tells you why. Like, why should we love one another in this way? It says, you shall love them as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. God's reminding the people, the reason that you're going to love foreigners the way that you love one another is you know what it's like to seek refuge in a place 
because of famine and then later be enslaved by them and be exploited by them and to be rescued by God through nothing that you did for yourself. You know what that's like. And if you are a people of God who understands what it's like to be redeemed in that way, then you're going to express that love to everyone around you. And so maybe we ask ourselves this morning, what is it going to be like for us? What does it look like for us to extend the life-changing love of Jesus Christ in this way in our neighborhoods? Maybe it is going over to the neighbor's house and knocking on the door and saying, hey, would you like some cookies? Would you like to come over for dinner? You know, kids at school, maybe it's looking at that nerdy, geeky kid who nobody wants to sit with because he's new. He's wearing clothes that aren't in fashion because he didn't get the fashion memo for how you're supposed to dry, dress in the you know, western suburbs. And saying, hey, why don't you come sit down at my table? Because we would welcome you. And I would love the opportunity to get to know you even though you're different. And maybe it's in the workplace to send out a welcome to the person who you maybe are inclined to think, I wonder if they're here to take my job. But to say, no, I, I'm here to welcome you, to extend welcome to you. And what does it look like for us to extend welcome in our own country? I just want to tell you that this passage was picked months and months before we got to this place at O'Hare. How are we supposed to think as Christians about immigration policy? How are we supposed to think about it? Well, I think we have some guidance. One is from a poem. Here's the poem. Not like the brazen giant of Greek fame, with conquering limbs astride from land to land, here at our sea-washed sunset gates shall stand a mighty woman with a torch, whose flame is the imprisoned lightning, and her name, Mother of Exiles. From her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome. Her mild eyes command the air-bridged harbor that twin cities frame. Keep, ancient lands, your storied pomp, cries she with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses. Yearning to breathe free the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. You know where that is. It's on the Statue of Liberty. It sounds a lot like it was informed by this passage in 1 Samuel, where David needs an army. This is one of my favorite passages for many reasons. And he's hiding in the cave at Adullam, and he's waiting for God to send him the warriors that he's going to need. And it says, And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him, and he became commander over them. This is the posture of welcome and who we're supposed to welcome that I think we're supposed to have. So what do we do that we live in a country now that is saying and has said, we're going to ban immigrants from entering this country from these certain nations because they pose a threat to us. We're not going to let them in. We're going to detain them because we're, we're concerned that there may be part of a, of a fifth wave that's here to destroy our nation. What are we supposed to do about that reality that we live in a country that 70 years ago 
turned away a ship in 1938 filled with 900 Jews who were fleeing Germany on the MS St. Louis because our State Department was concerned that they posed a threat to the safety and security of the United States. That in 1941, President Roosevelt signed an executive order saying that Jews posed a real threat to the safety and security of this nation based on the countries that they were coming from. And of those 952 people who were turned away on that ship, well over a quarter of them ended up turned to ash in concentration camps. So we don't even need to talk about, may, well maybe we do, about the present reality of what's happened. But the thing that we need to know is that fear of the unknown, fear of people who don't look like us, drives reactions like this that are motivated in part by a desire to be safe and secure. So I don't want to minimize that. When a person says, we got to figure out what's going on, I say, we, I agree, I want to figure out what's going on, I want to be safe. But taking action based on fear against people who are fleeing oppression is something that we as Christians have got to wrestle with in a real and hard way and be ultimately convict, conflicted about it. And I'm thankful for Hinsdale and, and what this means for us as a church that we're involved with world relief and the resettling of refugees and letting them know that you're welcome here. We want to come alongside you even though you maybe are from a different religion than we are. We want you to know that we welcome you and love you and care about you. And so we're thankful for that. But it doesn't just govern our attitude towards others. It governs our, our interactions with others. It's one of fairness. It says in verse 35 and 36, you shall do no wrong in judgment in measures of length or dry weight uh, or quantity. You shall have just balances, just weights, a just ephah, which is a, a, like a dry measure. So it would be like about a bushel. And a just hen, which is probably, think of this as a liquid weight, probably about a gallon. So here's, this is the bad news for some of you. There's not supposed to be any special deals for Christians. So when you're interacting with each other and you're like, oh yeah, you go to my church, I'm going to give you a special discount. Because you're a Christian. Get the Christian discount. Yeah, this says you can't do that. This says if there is a, a discount that you should be giving to a Christian, you should give that same discount to the next person who walks in the door. Because you're supposed to treat them the way that you would be treated. That there is one standard for dealing with people, not two. I'm not making that up. That's what it says here. Treat them exactly as you would treat yourself as natives among you. We're natives in this room. Here we are. We're natives. Treat them the same way. We all know, I experienced this when my wife and I went to Mexico. I landed at the airport and I needed to get a, a cab back to the hotel and was asking the, you know, the cabbie, you know, how much is it? And he's like, oh, pesos. I'm like, yeah, I don't know what the exchange rate is. He's like, how much is it? He's like, $20. I'm like, oh, okay, $20. That, sound, that seems reasonable. Get back to the hotel. I tell the, tell the woman there. I said, uh, she says, how much did you pay to get here? I said, oh, $20. 
She's like, $20? She's like, yeah, that's about eight times what it should cost. I'm like, oh, well, I didn't know what the conversion rate was. So that happened. And it happens all the time. You know, you get in, in a cab if you're not from downtown Chicago. And the guy's like, oh, where are you going? And you say, and, you know, in the old days when you didn't have, you know, Google Maps, you're like, hey, why are we going over here? And why does that look like Philadelphia over there? And I'm like, oh, no, this is the shortest way for sure. And we all know what it's like to be exploited because we don't know what the rules are. To have fair weights and scales and land and, and dry goods. And we experience this in little ways, even when we go to the grocery store and we see things that are like meaningless statements. One of my favorites is on a bag of marshmallows. Uh, there's a bag of marshmallows, some manufacturer that thought it was really smart to put on there, as always, a fat-free food. I'm like, well, okay, that's true, but somehow that implies that it's good and they're marshmallows. Or another favorite of mine is new and improved packaging. And what they mean by new and improved packaging is there's some new decoration on it. But if you grocery shop, you also know that this sometimes means that the package has shrunk. And you're paying the same price for less stuff. But it's new and improved packaging. And there you go. When I was back in, uh, in Iowa City this past week, I was visiting a friend of mine uh, who had always wanted a turbocharged diesel inject, uh, fuel-injected Volkswagen. And he's like, oh, man, we'll drive my well, last time because i got to take it into the dealer. I'm like, oh, what are you taking it into the dealer for? He's like, oh, they got to buy it back from me. And so I've been under a little bit of a rock on this deal, but it turns out that Volkswagen, when he bought this, they programmed the computer that when you hook it up to an emissions test, the computer goes, oh, is this an emissions test? Oh, okay. I will give this data for the emissions test. And then when you disconnect it from the emissions test, 40 times the allowable rate of emissions goes out. And Volkswagen was like, oh, yeah, sorry about that. We thought we could lie and cheat people to get what we wanted. And as a result, my friend who's loved Volkswagens forever is never going to buy another one. Because his experience with their hospitality is you guys are a bunch of lying cheats and I don't want to have anything to do with you. So this governs our, our interactions with each other. That The marketplace, if you think about it, these are rules about how the marketplace flourishes. How justice leads to flourishing in the marketplace and there's a place for us in here. How do we imagine yourself working at Volkswagen having to go in and say, I won't be a part of this. I, I see what you're asking me to do in coding. I see that you're asking me to cover this up and I won't do it. And maybe that's going to cost you your job. But this is the role of hospitality in the marketplace. It is pursuing hospitality and justice through fair weights and measures so that people can flourish fairly. And maybe we ask this question now. Okay, so why do I do it? Why? Why do I do this? I love the answer God gives. I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt and you shall observe all my statutes and all my rules and do them. I am the Lord. Why am I supposed to be hospitable? I am the Lord. Well, I don't, I don't think I understand. Think about it this way. Imagine that God 
changed his mind all the time about the way that he interacted with you, about what he expected from you, about what obedience looked like in a given situation, that you never knew what morning you woke up, what God was going to be like that day. A God who was constantly shifting. There, was no, there were no standards. There was no standards for obedience. And there was this shifting standards for what it meant. Keep in mind Leviticus is all about the sacrifice required for the sin. That there was a sliding scale that happened spontaneously and randomly about what could atone for your sin. Now we're all in trouble. See, these just weights and measures aren't just about the flourishing of the marketplace. It's about communicating that the Lord has a character of there is one truth. There is one standard for obedience. There is one standard for justice. There is one standard for atonement to be reconciled. There is one And so when you're enacting just weights and measures, you're proclaiming the hospitality that God offers because of his character. That we can know when God says, this is my son, and he is going to go to the cross on your behalf for your sins, and he will reconcile you, and it will be done. It will be finished. There will be nothing else you have to do, nothing else you have to measure up to, because it is done. There is no sliding scale with God. And this is why we have to treat each other as we treat ourselves. Because when we don't do this, what we're communicating is that there is one standard that God has for us and a different standard that God has for other people. And that makes the gospel completely incomprehensible. There is one standard, one offer of hope to everyone. This is why we were left here as exiles. To offer hospitality for the life of the world. That through our hospitality, we might proclaim the justice and mercy to the poor and the vulnerable. To the way things are supposed to be. To offer a foretaste of the kingdom to those around us who are wondering, I wonder what it would be like to be these people, to be with them. And that through that experience, they come to know what it's like to be reconciled to God who says, I am the Lord your God who covenanted with you to rescue you. This is the nature and purpose that God has given the church in proclaiming hospitality. So some of you have the gift of hospitality. Please bake cookies. But all of us are called to join God in this mission to offer hospitality to the world. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your good gift of hospitality We thank you for the way in which your son welcomed the poor and the powerless, the crippled, the lame, the deaf, the mute, the blind, the outcast, and said, come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden. Father, thank you for extending us the offer to join you in this mission of proclaiming hospitality to all. In Christ's name, amen. Here is our confession of sin, and it is good for us to confess our sin, knowing that there is one standard by which we are judged and one standard by which we are reconciled. And so we can proclaim our sin boldly before the Lord. 
follow along with me in the bold. Our Father who is in heaven, forgive us for the times we have told ourselves we are more deserving of the blessings of the kingdom than others. Forgive us for the times we have failed to do your will in extending the blessing of your kingdom to others. Forgive us for the times we have manipulated the rules to benefit ourselves at the expense of justice and righteousness towards others. Forgive us for all the times we have not treated others as we ourselves were created to be treated. Let's confess silently. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Hear this good news of the gospel from Colossians. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Thanks be to God.